0: to the third season of navigating the new normal grant thornton's podcast exploring trends in business and the marketplace i'm rebecca archer and today i am joined via zoom by sandy boswell and jackie millership partners in our innovation and incentives team currently working from home today we're talking about innovation research and development and the modern manufacturing strategy welcome sandy and jackie I guess, firstly, innovation has been a key topic of conversation in Australia since the start of the pandemic, as we've become more reliant on domestic capabilities. Jackie, where are we seeing the most innovation? Look,
1: I work with manufacturers across the spectrum, you know, everything
0: from food and beverage,
1: defence, clean energy, medical technology, mining technology, transportation, and we're seeing innovation across the board And look, adversity has always had this impact. Decades ago, we were talking about the tyranny of distance breeding innovation. Now it's the tyranny of border disruptions breeding innovation. The Australian manufacturing sector is incredibly good at stepping into the breach when circumstances require it. We're seeing companies that are caught out by a lack of supplier continuity. And after assessing their supply options, many have stepped up and onshored capability for their own production, or for their sector. I've got a great company example of a producer of lids and caps, you know, for beer, wine and spirits, who identified a supply chain gap. Believe it or not, there was no producer in Australia of lids for glass jars. So they invested in that capability and created a new market for themselves and solved a problem for the manufacturing sector. But we're also seeing enormous investment and focus on industry 4.0, you know, and that's all about harnessing the best of intelligent automation and real-time data to achieve not only globally cost competitive production, but harness data to value add the entire product lifecycle from R&D, you know, prototyping, production, logistics, right through sales and service. But we're seeing innovation that's not just about products, but also about business models you know, companies have had to pivot really quickly. For example, you know, in terms of export markets, we've had various bilateral trade tensions that have played out in the last two years. But also, you know, in response to an incredibly dynamic consumer market, you know, think about suppliers, supplying customers who now want to work from home or who are demanding safety measures or who want to buy Australian made. So, Look, all this innovation requires clever minds, a huge dose of entrepreneurialism, a good willingness to take risks, but of course it requires capital. And that really leads to the question of what is the role of government support? You know, governments have a, a range of policy levers to exercise, of course, but as my role in Grant Thornton very specifically is around helping our mid-tier clients access government grants, I'd, I'd like to just, you know, confine my thoughts to that, that issue of grants and I'm sure Sandy will pick up on, on other things after me. But the key question is, are businesses getting enough support from government? And it's not really a simple question to answer because what we really have is a two-speed economy playing out right now. If you're a business in hospitality or tourism, for example, You know, the COVID restrictions have been pretty crippling and you would view government support perhaps as necessary for survival. But on the other hand, if you're an innovative manufacturer and you're able to invest, then for many, the market has offered unprecedented opportunity and growth. Now, government support for the manufacturing sector isn't about saving companies from going bust. It's about accelerating growth and setting Australia up in the longer term to take more meaningful global market share. Now, some businesses are getting support to do this, but not enough, to my mind anyway. You know, here and now, there is incredible opportunity to ramp up Australian capability and scale, and we need really bold leadership, and perhaps a more, what I'd call a Singaporean style of government, which is a really entrepreneurial co-investor. One last thing about the federal government grants for the manufacturing sector is to note that they aren't really great for everyone. The manufacturing sector focus for for the federal government is really driven by the modern manufacturing strategy. And that just focuses on six national priority areas. So they are food and beverage, med tech, space tech, defense, resources and critical minerals processing and recycling and clean energy. Now I'm all for investing where you get the best bang for your buck, but this does mean there are winners and losers when it comes to federal government support. I mean, I've got a company that wants to onshore the production of lawn mowers, companies producing OEM quality automotive components for aftermarket fitment, companies producing products for the construction sector you know and so the list goes on of companies that are outside the federal focus I think just before I hand over to Sandy I, I do just also want to say that state governments of course are not bound by federal policy and there are some good programs in some states of Australia for any company investing in growth
2: and generating jobs over to you Sandy Thanks, Jackie, and and thanks, Rebecca, for having us today. It's great to be on the podcast. Um, Jackie's raised some really interesting points, and I suppose I just want to expand on that, because for me, where we're seeing the official figures from our main area of support for business investment in R&D, so where are we seeing that innovation, is by 12,000 companies accessing the main platform for support being the R&D Tax Incentive. So that tracks business investment on R&D. Predominantly within that is about 7,000 companies accessing from the services sector and 4,000 from manufacturing, and they're mostly um, SMEs. Are businesses getting the support they need? Well, I think um, it would be great to see more. I'd love to see what the UK has been doing over the past few years in their economy. Since 2017, they've lifted their support for innovation nearly every year by up to 1%. So at 2017, they provided an incentive of 11%, and now it tracks at 13%. Um, Interestingly, the CSIRO recently did a study that found that for every dollar that's invested in R&D in Australia, it generates $3.50 in returns to the economy. So doesn't it make sense to put more dollars into these key support programs? I'm a big fan of broad indirect programs with complementary direct funding, and I know Jackie's really passionate about that, Because I think this allows innovation to support and land where it's needed, but it also gives us that targeted support as well. There are some industries that are being overlooked, I think, where we could pump some more money and more support. So agriculture and ag tech is one that springs to mind. I do a lot of work in that sector, and I think that could have a greater focus from the government. There's very few companies that are accessing those formal support programs. There's only about 500 corporates that access the R&D tax incentive from the latest figures for which an industry that's pushing innovation in our frontiers in Australia, from things like food alternatives, ag tech itself, sustainability, not to mention carbon neutrality, it seems undercooked to me that the level of support that they get isn't enough. I mean, that's just one example and there are many more. And I think through the MMS, the government's trying to address this, aren't they, Jackie?
1: Look, perhaps I could just should start off by giving a little bit of context for the MMS or the modern manufacturing strategy. Uh, before I launch into that. So look, over um, a year ago in the lead up to the last budget, the federal government announced this $1.5 billion modern manufacturing strategy. And if you recall at the time, it was in the context of an unprecedented budget to help the nation recover from the COVID-19 recession, rebuild an economy for the future. It was all about moving us from job keeper and job seeker and into the job maker economic plan. And of course, the point was made, manufacturing sector and the MMS was a key part of the Job Maker Plan, um, with a strong acknowledgement that manufacturing is critical to the Australian economy. Now, of the $1.5 billion Modern Manufacturing Strategy, $1.3 billion was allocated to a single program, the Modern Manufacturing Initiative. I'm sorry, they all sound the same, but I'm just going to call it MMI from here on in. And of course, that's only focused on those six national priority areas I mentioned earlier. So when we had that one and a half billion dollar announcement, of course, we were really excited about the MMI because we haven't had such a strong budget allocation for the manufacturing sector for a long time indeed. But what has played out is that this 1.3 billion will entirely be allocated to a really small number of projects in a very rarefied atmosphere it's okay, I just take the time to break that down a little bit. So $1.3 billion modern manufacturing strategy, 800 million of that was allocated to a single round of collaboration projects. Now that provided up to $200 million for very large scale collaborations. The results of the applications are not yet known, but at the end of the day, we'll, we'll only have something like a dozen projects. Spread around the country that feature this business-to-business or and/or business-to-research collaborations at their core. So you got to think these really large-scale manufacturing collaboration hubs. So eight hundred million down on collaborations, a handful of collaborations, and that just left five hundred million dollars for some streams of projects that were for rather than for these large-scale manufacturing collaborations for individual companies to access. Now, the projects had to fall into an integration or translation theme. Integration meaning integrating into value chains. Translation means translating good ideas into commercial outcomes. Now, that, that $500 has been fully allocated already in just two rounds of funding, with $1 to $20 million available per grantee. Now, round one funded only 34 companies. Round two will be of the same order. So you can see what I'm saying. 1.3 billion sounds like a huge sum. But, you know, simply put, it just isn't nearly enough to have a meaningful impact um, on the manufacturing sector at large. Now, I think the program is a great initiative. I don't want to sound a, a downer, but we need much more ambitious allocation of funding for this sector in the next budget. If the government really does think the manufacturing sector is important for Australia and it has the vision to realize the importance of accelerating new onshore capability here now, while this opportunity is presenting and and setting us up, as I said before, to take a bigger slice of of the world market.
0: Well, it's a comprehensive explanation that you've given, and it's greatly appreciated. You've obviously alluded to the fact that perhaps the investment wasn't enough, but are we expecting anything further in terms of investment for manufacturing in this year's federal budget?
1: Look, I'm not aware of any leaks to that end. I would dearly like to say we're expecting it. We certainly want to see a further allocation but we'd like to see the government not just put more money into that fund but actually learn from what the MMI implementation has got us so far and I think there are some really important lessons that we can take from how it's been implemented. And one of the key bugbears around this program to date has been the fact that there's been absolutely no pre-warning of dates before funding rounds open. And to rub rub salt into the wound, they've only allowed application periods for four week windows. Um, Now that is just simply not enough time to plan your project, get the quotes, do your business modeling and all the other project planning that you need to do so that you're in a position to even write up the grant application and prepare the mandatory documentation package of attachments. So, you know, as you recall, I said 34 companies were funded in round one. Well, to add real insult to injury, this rarefied opportunity, round two opened on the 13th of December and closed on the 13th of January. But some of my clients very diplomatically said, oh, the government's got a very wicked sense of humour. That's not probably how I would have put it. I I mean, I was frankly quite dismayed at the lack of respect for industry that that displayed. I mean, two years of COVID disruption, just about everybody I know is physically and mentally tapped. They're just exhausted. And to expect a four-week turnaround over a much-needed Christmas break let's ask their companies and staff to work over Christmas. I mean, it's just not viable. We have to do better than that. So look, the first thing I would ask, sorry, that is a bit of a rant, but the first thing I would ask of a hypothetical new program is publish a schedule of rounds at the outset. Secondly, going to what I said earlier, we just need many more companies to benefit per round. I mean, drop the cap of money available if we need to, but let's just... A reasonable budget in there, $500 million for individual company applications is just too small. The third thing I'd say about the way that the MMI has been implemented so far is that we really would like to see a less prescriptive interpretation of the roadmaps. So let me explain that because um, what I'm referring to there are roadmaps that the government developed in tandem with industry for each of those national manufacturing priority areas to identify where it was felt the best opportunities for Australia are. So look, all well and good, but but nonetheless, we are talking about very concise documents that simply cannot list every opportunity that is good for Australia. And after reviewing the successful round one recipients, it really does seem that if your specific product wasn't listed in a roadmap, you really didn't have a strong case. So yes, alignment with roadmaps, that's important, but let's not fall into blinkered decision-making. I think they're my key takeaways from, from what we've
0: seen so far. So in addition to the MMS, we did see a $107.2 million investment into supply chain resilience. Do you feel that that was sufficient considering the current operating environment? Should this be increased as we ease into COVID normal? Now, I think
1: you'll you know how I'm going to answer that when I talked about $500 million through the EMS. I mean, look, $100 million is just a tiny drop in the ocean for supply chain resilience. It's, it's honestly laughable with, once again, not, not wanting to say that the program itself wasn't well conceived, but the funding just yeah, is too small a drop. We've had two rounds of funding so far, and it looks like that's totally exhausted, that allocation already. Round one has already been allocated and round two. Yes, you guessed it, was open over Christmas. (laughs) But anyway, it was tightly focused on biopharma and agri-chemicals in round one, um, semiconductors and water treatment chemicals in round two. So you can see what I'm saying. The program was really tightly directed and didn't address broader supply chain resilience. And look, while I appreciate your focus on the critical sovereign capability in the first instance, we really do need that program opened up to wider applications with a far more realistic budget.
0: So, Sandy, what are the future opportunities for business?
2: Thanks, Rebecca. I think, well, we know from studies looking to 2030 that the ageing population in Australia is going to cause a 6% shortfall in um, the working population that's available in the coming years. So that's going to make it difficult to get GDP growth. And innovation is the key to filling this productivity gap. That study also found that 92% of future jobs are going to need digital skills, and 45% of those jobs will need configuration skills and confidence of working with digital systems and technology. So that's a lot of IT skilling that's going to be needed. I think where the government can support to create these opportunities is at both state and federal levels. I think it's essential, particularly sustaining the R&D tax incentive program that supports over 12,000 businesses nationally. I know that Innovation Australia is looking to support business here in New South Wales, and we see many smaller grant opportunities that I think are great, but they're hard to know about, and this is a challenge for corporates. At Grant Thornton, we can help you with this. I mean, uh, we have companies coming every day to our innovation incentives team to help them find the right grant funding for them. What I'd love to see in the budget and have we seen any election promises and the budget's been brought forward. So it's a, a sort of a strange time frame. but I have been thinking about this as we've come out of the pandemic. I think it'd be good to see what the UK has done with their periodic upticks to the main support to foster innovation here. The USA's just recently revised their program as recently as January this year. Hong Kong's introduced a great program in 2018. And coming back to the UK, they've increased their level of innovation spend by 19% in 2021, predominantly from the SME sector. And that would be because of the uptick in the support. There, it's the IT, manufacturing and scientific sectors, and they make up over 70% of Um, who's accessing their programs. In Australia, we're seeing a fall in investment in innovation as the total R&D expenditure is falling. So I think we need the budget to address this. More collaboration with the public sector is a must. And I know the government wants to address this.
0: So Sandy, you've just uh, talked about what's going on for innovation in Australia. It has flatlined according to Innovation Australia in recent years, sitting at 2012 levels in 2021. How do you anticipate this trend? Is it going to continue, do you think?
2: Well, sadly, I think it could if we don't continue to support innovation at the current levels, if not higher. Um, We need to have some good measures to drive R&D here in Australia, which is a good, strong, indirect support of undertaking R&D here that's easy to understand and to access. Support for our exporters is vital, and it should be expanded. Help them establish their markets offshore. We currently have an export market development program grant, but it only provides a really small level of support and it needs more funds injected into it to allow people to re-establish their markets offshore coming out of the pandemic. Um, We work with a lot of companies accessing that program and they heavily rely on it as the country is opening up and international borders are opening as well. We have seen a lot of governments around the world that I've touched on already, increasing their support for R&D investment so, China, for example, has increased it for SMEs and large corporates, so both ends of, of their corporate spectrum. New Zealand's introduced a 15% tax credit. So, I think the simple answer is we need more government led incentives at both the state and federal level.
0: So, what are some measures that you think would be good to see from the government and, in particular, in the upcoming budget to drive research and development into the future in Australia?
2: So I suppose I've got some really simple messages here. An uptick in innovation investment overall is really vital. Don't cut it, increase it. It, It's going to address the key challenges that we face as an economy overall, such as carbon neutrality, sustainability, and then as an economy, the aging population issue, which will impact our workforce. So having indirect broad-based programs that are useful for companies and easy to access is vital for that. Jackie,
1: what's your thoughts? I totally support all of those points you've made, Sandy. They're absolutely on point. I guess just putting my manufacturing sector hat on, I would kind of add a few nuances perhaps. But look, the manufacturing sector has all of the right elements to take its rightful place on the world stage. But we need a government that's more entrepreneurial and bold. Um, We need a much bigger budget for individual companies willing to make strategic investments in this sector. We like to see the government take all of that good homework that went into the creation of the modern manufacturing strategy, treat what we've done to date as a pilot program and scale it up. In other words, take the lessons we've learned from the allocation of the funds to date and implement the next version of the modern manufacturing strategy. And lastly, with that lens of, you know, the opportunity for scaling up the sector, um, and in the context I mentioned earlier, we'd like to see more companies benefit from the program. You know, let's also why don't we have preferential loan programs sitting alongside the grants grants aren't the only options we need to think outside the box. Industry's not asking for handouts. They need an entrepreneurial partner in government that can help them respond to the global opportunity before us in a timely manner. If we can have any influence on thinking in this area, you know, that is absolutely what we'd like to see.
0: Well, Sandy and Jackie, thank you so much for your time and your fantastic insights and ideas. Can people track you down on LinkedIn or phone, email, if they'd like to talk more about innovation? Absolutely.
2: So we're on our, the Grant Thornton websites and we're easy to find. We certainly welcome
1: conversations with all companies in this space.
0: If you liked this podcast and would like to hear more, you can find and subscribe to Grant Thornton Australia on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.